Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Amen. This past fall, I had the somewhat odd but a playful opportunity to take a course for professional development. When you teach at a seminary, there are all kinds of courses and workshops you can take to continue your own education. I and my colleagues here at VTS do this often, sometimes on sabbatical, sometimes in the summer, sometimes even during the semester, to hone our own skills in biblical languages, history, philosophy, art, music, and other hashtag lifelong learning. <laughs> to deepen our own knowledge, to go deeper in the well, to challenge our faith, to make us better, frankly, at teaching the faith to a diverse group of people who will, with God's help, teach the faith. But since finishing a formal graduate uh, school myself 25 years ago, um, I have been a bit of a junkie and taken as much traditional professional development as possible in my favorite areas of Latin, uh, emerging issues in systematics, more recently church music, and most importantly, deepening my own understanding of what it truly means to practice and to teach a post-colonial evangelism in a church and a tradition that is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. But what was odd about this most recent journey into lifelong learning is that I took a course from Disney University. <laughs> it's technically called the Disney Institute, but its street name in the corporate world is Disney University. On the massive campus of Disney World in Orlando, there are a group of buildings, not really open to the public, where they run this institute that is in many ways the gold standard for corporate leadership training. Um, I'm a bit of a Disney junkie, so I'll um, not bury the lead. I'm not going to trash Disney in this particular sermon, or at least not all of it. I learned about the Disney Institute. I, had, I have seven beloved college roommates um, from Harvard, and three of them went to the Stanford Business School. The, uh, three others went to the Harvard Business School. And the two of us joined what the rest of them call uh, Peace Corps-ish things by studying theology. But among the six who went the business route, um, they are the vice presidents currently of Starbucks, Verizon, the Bill Gates Foundation, by the way, that roommate is in charge of malaria eradication. But they've been talking about the Disney Institute of where they send their best people. Here's the thing, it's $5,000 a week priced for the corporate world. But you can take one of 12 different courses, customer service, customer experience, professional evaluation, understanding current events, the imagination, Now, we have to be careful what we learn from the world. As Anglicans, we know it's not our job to judge the world, but to be a part of the Lord who says, I'm here to save it. But in this tradition, we are not, frankly, Amish. We are not just teacher in the world. 
we are student. And the truth is, the Disney Institute has spent hundreds of millions of dollars over decades studying human nature, sociology. I thought I had something to learn. And with COVID, they no longer have their residential school where you normally have classes in the morning and then in the afternoon you go to different parks to see the thing you learned about, does that make sense? And then in the evening you come back and process. I took the online version, it was just one day, it was eight hours. It was an incredible immersion in a company that perhaps more than others has learned to develop a brand and a culture, think about it. I mean, someone has won an Olympic medal, and how many times do you hear them say, what are you going to do now? What do they say? <laughs> going to Disney. The last time I was there, we were trying to take pictures, and every time we got our, an angle, another couple got engaged right next to me. Someone just dropped down their knee. You've got to be careful. <laughs> I mean, it can happen anywhere. Over 50% of Americans in the last 50 years have attended Disney. Remember, 40% of children live in poverty in America. But more than half of us have attended Disney. This is the judgy part. Of every dollar spent at Disney, over 70 cents is a gift charged to a credit card or borrowed from a friend. What is it about this brand that people not spend all their money, they spend money they don't even have? They're facing the same challenges as religious communities. So it really was COVID that really sent me to want to listen. What does Disney say about all this? Can anything good come out of Orlando? <laughs> I was a skeptic. I mean, as I ha had these skeptical thoughts in my office, of course, I was looking at my uh, mouse ears on the shelf. But I was nonetheless a skeptic. But it is a true win for Screwtape when we decide there are people or things from which we can learn nothing. Let me say that I was overwhelmed. I thought I knew what the Disney method was. I did not. The first thing I learned, by the way, was about Walt Disney. Today is a day for uh, St. Andrews, so we won't spend a lot of time on Walt Disney, who is a famous anti-Semite and other things. But Walt Disney grew up in a very financially insecure household with a father with lots of dreams and ideas. He started lots of small businesses that all failed, including at one point selling everything they had, moving to a farm, buying a farm, and five years later having them evicted. By the time he was a teenager, he and his brother Roy decided they wanted to make their own lives. And even at that time, Walt Disney said he was saying, I just want happiness. They started making films, and early on in 1937, they produced Snow White, a film at the time that made about $10 million at the time, which now is over $250 million. But with this success, Walt looked at his brother Roy and said, I want to make an amusement park. And they split the business amicably, but they split it. And Walt had this dream to create what he called the happiest place on earth. Why do I care about this? I care because there's something in the fool's errand of creating the happiest place on earth in which I see myself daily. Famously, Walt Disney said, after the great successes of the parks toward the end of his life, 
I can take away darkness. That's haunting. It's also tempting. I can take away darkness. My favorite collect of the year is the collect for Advent 1. We said it on Sunday. I actually have a countdown in my head around mid-October so we can say in community the collect for Advent 1. Put on the armor of light. At a time of the year when the days are growing shorter and the darkness appears to be winning. But going back to Disney for a second, what does it look like? Why would a man say, I can take away darkness? They decided at the Disney Institute that people don't like lawns that aren't perfect. So half the grass in Disney isn't alive. It's synthetic, what they call synthetic live grass. Because no one wants to see it mowed or worn down. The bathrooms, by the way, at one point I asked for a bathroom and, and some a, a very happy, um, what are called cast members, everyone who works for Disney, right? Some of you know this, is called a cast member. There are no employees. Everyone is, a, even inside, by the way, internally, when you're in a meeting, you talk about cast member this, cast member that. They're all told you are all part of the production of happiness. And I bumped into one of these producers of happiness looking for a bathroom and they said, just, it's town hall. Turns out the bathroom hut, nobody wants a bathroom hut, they call it town hall while you're standing on synthetic live grass. All the trash cans at Disney are 21 feet apart because research shows that 21 feet is the average distance you'll walk before you litter. Take a tape measure. Every can throughout all of their parks is only 21 feet from the last in all directions. No one loses their car at Disney. Think about it. Thousands and thousands of cars are parked. They take a picture of every car and every license plate, and they GPS track your car. So if at any point you can't find your car, someone who works with parking just pulls out their phone and shows you a picture of exactly where your phone is. My favorite is a manual that I didn't know existed. It's called the Happiness Recovery Manual. And all the cast members who work at rides are given one. And what it allows you to do, it gives you all the options as a cast member for how you can restore happiness. For example, the height line. Can you imagine, on a credit card, with money borrowed from grandma, you take your three kids to Disney. For weeks, you've been thinking about it, and when they get to the ride legally, they cannot get on. That is a huge happiness crisis. And I'm not even talking about for the kids. but they're supposed to pull out this manual. There are 31 things you can do to recover happiness. One of them is give them a gift certificate to have lunch with Mickey within 24 hours. Another is to give them a costume in the theme of the ride. Does that make sense? Like if it's the Hulk or something like that, then, then you, they have that costume. There is a room with a costume in every size, 24 hours a day at every ride. So as soon as the tears come, you give them a costume for the ride. They can go around the park, and one of the 31 things is cash. Disney is serious about recovering happiness. If you are in the business of putting out the darkness, you need a manual. There's something about this that I think is easy to judge. On the other hand, you can understand why when people win a gold medal, the first thing they do is go to Disney. 
Walt Disney, toward the end of his life, famously started to speak, though, of wanting to freeze his own body. Maybe some of you have heard this. He did not want to die. Remember, it was Sigmund Freud who said that he could uh, explain away much of religion, but he had uh, this obsession with what he called the painful riddle of death. All things come to an end. But Disney, not unlike um, Voldemort, was obsessed in the end not with money or with power, but with avoiding death and darkness, which is its song. He died at 65 years old of cancer, somewhat unexpectedly, so his plans to be frozen never happened. He was in the middle of creating what you all know as EPCOT, but what you might not know is EPCOT stands for the experimental prototype of the community of tomorrow. Disney believed that they could actually start building communities across the country that were the happiest places on earth. That's how far he was willing to take this. Meanwhile, our colleague says, put on the armor of light. My question for you this morning is where is your darkness? We're faced with this gospel that, that is the story of, of Andrew famously dropping the nets and then calling others to do the same. And in my life, I've tried to do this in many different ways. Raised in the Catholic Church, I didn't have sort of a time, date, and place of being saved besides my baptism. When I got to college, I, I met Tony Campolo, who convinced me I really did need a date. So I got on my knees on the banks of the Charles River and accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and then went to Mass the next day and sort of apologized for that. <laughs> Looking back now, I would just say that's the day I began a first-name basis with the Lord. But the truth is, since that time, I've learned something about dropping your nets. You must, you must. But when you walk away from the net and the fish and the life that you knew, I'll speak for myself, I begin to realize that I wasn't holding the nets as much as I was in them. I was both fisherman and fish. And though I could drop the nets, I did not seem to be able to get myself out of the nets that continue, even this morning, to hold me back. Let me tell you, as someone who works uh, with our denomination often on evangelism, I cannot believe how many meetings I am in, how many working groups I'm a part of, where we argue and laugh and exchange memes about the metaphysics of salvation and sanctification in our denomination. How it happens, why it happens, Masa Demnata, universalism, I mean, all these words, it's just like a tornado in the Wizard of Oz. And in all the metaphysics of salvation we have this morning, wherein we hear of the physics, drop your nets. But as soon as you drop them, you start to feel the nets in which you are caught, and the human condition follows you through your sanctification. 
Yes, we will come out of the tomb if we put on Christ. But we will go through Holy Week. Week after week after week. Freud said we seek pleasure and avoid pain. I can say this about the saints that I have come to know and on days when I'm closer to their lives than usual. That a saint does not seek the pleasures of this world, that much I'm sure of. But not all the saints welcomed pain. Like you and like me, we all have the same hormones that are released to protect us, to help us flee. Some of you who came back from Thanksgiving Sunday, yesterday, some of you who were here for the time, you had a wonderful break. Others of you did not. For some of you, the holidays are the most painful times of the year. Some of you continue to try to go home, even though every time you do it after 18, there's no such thing. Some of you have lost relatives, have lost pets. Some of you have had a mix of all these emotions. Most of you are tired. Your feet are at least a few pounds heavier this week than last week. But you've dropped your nets. Why drag your feet? Simplistic theology is a quick fix. It is a Disney strategy. I know I practice it often. I want to avoid pain. Some of you on breaks like Thanksgiving can't avoid the pain. You, you go home to it, you, you Skype with it, you have a FaceTime with it, or you can't handle any of that and you withdraw. Some of you are in more pain right now than you've ever been in your life. And some of you don't know why. When we're honest, the nets that hold us are so complicated and only some of them are even visible. Some of you are struggling for sobriety. Some of you are struggling to start struggling for sobriety. Others of you live in just a sealed tomb of cynicism. Whereas the old definition says of a cynic, you know the cost of everything and the value of nothing. No one wants to talk about being in and at a seminary because we're very busy talking about when or how or by grace or not you dropped your nets. But here we are, folks, the fish. And the nets that hold us often are psychological. They're neurological. One of the things I love about Disney, they have an entire task force on neurodivergence at Disney to figure out what we know about light and color and sound, not only to not traumatize people, but to enchant them. Psychiatrists, psychologists, educators. How many churches have that? I know we don't have the resources for it, but are we praying to find ways that people would experience the grace of God, all kinds of people? Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. This hymn is for fish in the net. That it is the coming of our Lord that has happened, that will happen 
and that is happening now. That is the only power that can free some of us from the nets we can't cut our way out of. There is no Disney strategy. We cannot turn off the darkness. But we go back to Andrew. Let us follow Andrew into Advent. I do not believe it is a condition of salvation that we drop our nets. But I do know that it has been my great joy to be offered a part in my salvation. There are nets I have dropped. There are nets I know I need to drop today. But when we put on Christ, when we follow Christ into darkness, which for many of us is a path into ourselves, there is the hope that if we go into the tomb with the one who came out of it, we will rise in glory. But we will not if we miss the physics of today. If we run from darkness, if I run from darkness. As a white person in a white supremacist country and church, my pain has really not been uh, the pain of others who are more marginalized, threatened, judged, rejected. I have a good education. I have a loving family. I have meaningful work. For me, it's been physical illness. Over a decade of Disney strategies, frankly, which at times is all the medical community can give you. I was on narcotics for 10 years, 24 hours a day. I will tell you that what chronic pain does to you, it doesn't just humble you, it introduces you to a whole group of people you've been judging your whole life. Like knitters in meetings, by the way. But I've learned one of the things people do to control their chronic pain is knit. I've learned so many things about how other people got through those kinds of things. Just in the last year, I've had a surgery that was radical but ended a lot of that darkness and turned what was a terminal illness into a second chance. If you still see me limping around, it's, think of Lazarus. I mean, you sort of smell and it takes a while to learn to walk again after. So if I'm a little, a little shaky, just know I'm about as sad about it as Lazarus. But what I must confess to you is there were days that I was sitting on campus in our campus home screaming for it to end in any way possible. Any stress. I didn't care what was a long-term good decision or not. More narcotics. Put me out. When there's so much darkness, even at the noon of day, and I'll tell you that the, the sun gives slightly less light off than Lisa Kimball. But even Lisa could not keep me from saying, I'm done. I don't want to seek pleasure. I just want to avoid pain. And so the collect for Advent One put on the armor of light. 
Too often in this church and in our denomination, as I said, we speak of what is complicated, what cannot be done, what is declining, what is dying. And I can hear the laughter of screw tape from the church center in New York, on Twitter, and on Facebook. And the great concern of screw tape is that we say this collect that we put on the armor of light, that we follow Andrew into Advent, and we drop the nets we can drop and open ourselves to be freed from things we didn't enter on our own. My friends, this is the day the Lord has made. Are you lost in the nets, focusing your energy and prayers on the knots you did not make and cannot undo? When we take a few moments after this sermon, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask God to show me the nets that I am holding. The great victory of the devil is that there's a hundred things I'm holding and I'm fretting over what's holding me. There are very real, perhaps small things that everyone in this room is holding right now and you know you are. Something about your life right now. You just need a little bit of control. I just want to hold one thing for just a little bit longer. Why? Because it's been working so well? Trust that God will come and from our fears and sins release us. But we can also participate in our salvation. This is the glory of the Anglican tradition. Ask God in the silence now, what, if you don't know what it is, what is the net I am holding? Help me, God, to be freed from the nets that hold me. I am a fish. But show me. And then when it comes time for the offertory, just let it go. This is the day the Lord has made. You do not put on armor to flee. You do not put on armor to walk away. We put on the armor of light to follow our Lord into our own darkness, the darkness of the world, because we know how this story ends. You are not a cast member in a production. You are baptized in the font. You are sealed as Christ's own forever, and his destiny is our destiny and the destiny of the world, and there's nothing you can do or not do to stop that from happening. The question is, do you want to be a part of it? Amen. Amen.